0: I invite you to open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. We'll be studying verses 46 through 49. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built his house on the ground, without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. So far the reading of God's Word. Dear Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, does two out of three get the job done along the Christian pilgrimage? There's a catchy secular tune that alleviates heartache with the encouragement that two out of three ain't bad. Should a Christian be assured by the same kind of encouragement? See, the Christian pilgrimage through sanctification is difficult. Self-denial is hard as we put off our old nature and live to be more like Jesus Christ. Through these afflictions, we can start to convince ourselves that, hey, maybe two out of three isn't so bad. We come to church. We listen to the word preached. That's pretty good. That's better than what some people do. Yet Jesus Christ has not let us off the hook. He emphasizes what is lacking in those following him in those days. And what is lacking or maybe inconsistent, or maybe even absent from Christians today, Jesus illustrates the positive of applying what he teaches, but also shows a warning for neglecting to do what he teaches, something with extreme consequences. So our theme this morning, as we examine Scripture, is creating a spiritual bunker that endures spiritual storms. And we'll look at this at three points. You cannot fool the architect, point number one. Point number two is the the successful blueprint. And point number three is vanity of self-reliance. As Jesus comes to the close of his message here in chapter six of Luke's gospel account, Jesus asks a rhetorical question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? See, no doubt there would have been those around Jesus that would have called him Lord, Lord, using Lord, Lord to be emphatic, a way to address him, being forceful and direct, trying to grab the attention of Jesus. And this is not something new in Scripture. We see in the Old Testament that when God called Moses out from the burning bush, he said, Moses, Moses. And the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham, saying, Abraham, Abraham. And God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. The Lord also called out to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And lastly, we see in the New Testament that Jesus calls out to Saul, Saul, Saul. When there's repetition of a name, there's an urgency to grab the attention of the listener. There's a want or a need to have their attention, to ask some kind of question or to give some kind of statement. But it could also be the case that there is reverence in the repetition of Lord, Lord. An acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is greater than that normal Sir title that is associated with Lord. So when some call Jesus Lord, Lord, they are emphatically trying to grab the attention of Jesus, doing so with reverence and honor. And if we understand that, we can understand why Jesus asked the question that he did. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why go through all the trouble of getting Jesus' attention and showering him with adoration and reverence, yet you do not do what he says? It is hypocrisy. And this is nothing new in the church. Listen to how Ezekiel describes the exiles. And they come to you as people come, And they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain, and behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. They come, and they hear, But they will not obey. In James' epistle and in Paul's letter to Titus, they explain the importance of being doers of the word. So we understand that this was a problem before Jesus Christ, also while he was on earth. We also see a problem continuing after Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So we can identify this as a problem, but do we know why? Is it mere lip service? that this is what Jesus Christ wants to hear? It could be that it's just ignorance and they are uneducated. Others are saying this about him, so I'll just go along with it. It could be merely a facade trying to show how much care they have without doing any real work. They're trying to get by with the minimal amount of effort. Now we cannot know the minds and motivations of why someone confessed Jesus Christ as Lord but not do what he says. But I think what is more telling is their view of Jesus Christ. Whom do they think that Jesus Christ is? And have you ever considered what your inaction says about your view of Jesus Christ? Are you not doing what he says because you think you can slide by by tickling his ears, whispering kind pleasantries into the ears of Jesus Christ so that he might look over your disobedience? So you cannot fool Jesus Christ. He does not need your praise and adoration. Or maybe by not doing what he says, you're confessing with inaction that you do not respect his authority of the king of kings, of the king of the entire universe but you'd rather echo the Jews of Jesus' day, we will not have this man to rule over us. Because if Jesus Christ is king, that means you have to relinquish your crown, the kingdom of me, myself, and I. Now it could be that your inaction indicates a lack of wisdom of Jesus Christ. You'd be thinking, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but I don't think that's right. Times have changed. How could you know what is good for me two thousand years later? Or maybe your inaction demonstrates the lack of the fear, of the power of Jesus Christ. You think there have been no consequences in my inaction thus far, so I can't be doing that bad. And you mistake Jesus Christ's patience for impotence. See, your inaction says a lot about your view of Jesus Christ. It effectively declares that Jesus Christ is not your king and that he's not your Lord. You're mocking Jesus Christ. It shows a heart that accompanies the Roman soldiers, that you strip Jesus Christ of his dignity, you place a crown of twisted thorns on his head, you put a reed in his right hand, and you kneel before him, mocking him, Hail, King of the Jews! You are right beside these Roman soldiers, spitting on him and striking him on the head. And these are not the actions of someone who believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is my King, that Jesus Christ is my Lord. When you claim Lord, Lord, and do not do what Jesus Christ says, you mock the kingship of Jesus Christ, and you make a fool of yourself. Because you cannot fool Jesus Christ. Because he can see into your heart. Your words are not guarding your heart like some impenetrable force. See, Jesus Christ sees right through them. He knows you have a heart of inaction, and your words are not able to hide it. It's just like Adam and Eve, you're using fig leaves to hide yourself, to try to conceal a heart of inactivity. See, but these fig leaves cannot hide your heart. See, Jesus Christ knows your whole heart. He knows if you have a heart of action, a heart that wants to serve him as king. He knows if you have a heart of anxiousness, filled with doubts, filled with worries. He knows your heart is weak and prone to wander. He also knows if your heart is proud and arrogant, filled with resistance and stubbornness. But look at the heart of Jesus Christ. Although you mock him, you strip him of his dignity, you spit on him and slap him on the cheek, his heart receives those who come to him and offers redemption through his blood. He also helps us and teaches us a better way He provides for us a blueprint to navigate our way through these trials and tribulations. He offers us the successful blueprint. Now, in theory, the blueprint seems to be easily executed. There's only a few simple things to follow. You need to come to Jesus, hear Jesus' words, and do what he says. And when we try and execute, we realize the weight of everything that pulls us away from Jesus Christ. Like our sinful nature, the world's temptations and Satan's lies. So let's look at this blueprint in the threefold structure and understand the first thing that Jesus explains to us is that we come to him. Which makes the most logical sense. If you're nowhere near Jesus, you're not going to be able to hide here what he has to say. Now I understand that we're far removed from the eyewitness teaching of Jesus Christ, but we come to church, and Christ meets us here by His Spirit. So when we come to church, we are meeting Jesus Christ. And secondly, while you're around Jesus, you need to hear what He is saying. And we hear this through the word preached but it's not, only, it's not enough to only hear, be around him to hear what he's saying. Being near Jesus does not mean that you are taking in what he's saying. Like it's been mentioned before, Judas Iscariot, he was near Jesus Christ, and he failed to listen to the teaching of Jesus Christ. See, so we need to listen attentively to what Jesus Christ is saying, that we know what we're able to be doing, so we know the plan that we're supposed to be executing, If you come to Jesus Christ and listen to what he says, you need to put into practice what he's teaching. And this is the focus of the Jesus teaching in this section of Scripture. You need to be doers of what Christ is saying. And so there's no confusion. Maybe you're thinking, what should I be doing? We can survey what we've learned in chapter 6. There are many commands of Jesus Christ. And again, these are direct commands from Jesus Christ. Imperatives from his mouth and not my interpretation. Jesus Christ says to you, Rejoice and leap for joy in your sufferings. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Offer the other cheek. Do not demand back from those who take your goods. Do to others as you wish to be treated. Be merciful. Don't judge others. Don't condemn others. Forgive others. Now, this is a pretty long list of one chapter in the Bible. What is your response to such a long list of commands? Is this a heavy burden on your back? A hefty yoke around your neck? Or can you echo John in 1 John 5:3? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So are they burdensome or not burdensome? And this is a great question to ask yourself. See, what you know about Jesus Christ will determine what your response is. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Have you laid all your burdens at the foot of the cross? Then you know you don't have to respond out of compulsion, but of gratitude. If you trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, there is nothing that you can add to the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ is gentle and that he's lowly? Do you know that he understands your weaknesses and your limitations? Do you know that His grace is sufficient for you? That His power is made perfect in weakness? Your weaknesses draw you closer to Jesus Christ because you realize that you cannot do it yourself. you also know that He who started a good work in you will see it complete? And just as Jesus Christ learned obedience through what He suffered, therefore you can learn obedience through your suffering. And you can be patient in your suffering because He is working in you, cultivating the endurance that produces character. See, with such a long list of commands that can feel tiresome and grinding you down from the weight of them, a helpful perspective is to remember that your journey through this life is more about the realization that you need Jesus Christ for everything than it is about working to obtain some kind of favor. From God. See, the former focuses on Jesus Christ and the latter on yourself. So when we focus on Jesus Christ and follow the blueprint set out for us, we see that it involves the whole person. We see that coming to Jesus is relational, that hearing Him is verbal, and doing what He says is behavioral. It requires the entire person to follow the blueprint that Jesus Christ sets out for us. You need all three. Two out of three just will not cut it. You'll just topple over like a two-legged stool. See, to endure this Christian pilgrimage, you need to be sturdy. If we look at verse 48, Jesus paints a picture for us illustrating what that person looks like. A person who comes to him A person who listens to him and does what he says. We see that that person is wise. That he builds a house because there's a need for shelter. He lays a foundation for his home. He's making his home properly, following every detailed instruction. And this man is also cautious. He digs a foundation as far as he can because he knows that it will not be sunny forever. That there will be winds and heavy rains. And he takes these warnings seriously, trusting in the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And we also see that he's a hard worker, that there's no shortcuts taken. He digs a deep foundation, something that requires time and effort, denying himself to better prepare himself for the storms. See, therefore, the one who comes to Jesus, listens to him, and does what he says is wise, he's cautious, and hard working and his labors will be rewarded, because that man will be comforted. When the trials and tribulations come and they will come, this man will be safe from the floods and the raging waters. The violent waters do not shake his shelter. He is peaceful, he is safe and he's secure, living in a well-built shelter, because doing what Jesus Christ says builds a well-built shelter that can endure the trials and tribulations of this life. Now, can you say the same about your bunker, your spiritual shelter? Are you safe from spiritual disasters? Is your bunker built on the blueprints of the words of Jesus Christ? Or does this sound too time-consuming, too labor-intensive? Or maybe you have your own plans in mind, But Jesus Christ gives us an illustration of the vanity of our self-reliance. The thought process of, I'd rather do it my way, we are shown what that man is like, the one who does not need the words of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus shows to us the vanity of self-reliance. If we look at verse 49, we see that this man has proximity to Jesus, and he's heard the words of what Jesus is saying. This man has some intellectual abilities because he builds a house. He understands that there's a need for shelter and for protection. He has a blueprint of some kind and some plan of how to build a home, because the text indicates that he finished it. We understand also that this man has some kind of work ethic. We read that his house was completed. But as good as this man was, he had his faults. See, he lacked foresight. There's no foundation laid. Maybe he thought there was no way spiritual storms could come his way. He would have heard the warnings being proximity to Jesus Christ, but perhaps he just was disinterested in what Jesus Christ had to say. And Jesus Christ paints another picture for us. What the result is that that home that is built on the vanity of self reliance. First, we see that that house immediately fell. At the first signs of the breaking of the storms, the, the home went down. It can withstand nothing. So much so that Jesus says that the ruin of that house was great. The house is destroyed. It's beyond renovations. It's left in utter destruction. And this is the vanity of our self-reliance. So you can build a spiritual fortress apart from Jesus Christ, but at the very first sign of trouble it will fall immediately and leave you with nothing. So what are you building your spiritual bunker with? Is it the straw and the stubble of the world or advice that is well-pleasing to your ears? How are you preparing for your spiritual storms? Understand this, that your preparations for spiritual storms are the most profitable way by preventing destruction and ruin by these spiritual storms. And the best way to prepare is to apply what Jesus Christ is teaching and realize that you cannot do it yourself. Understand the consequences of putting into practice what Jesus Christ is teaching of not putting what Jesus Christ is teaching. Destruction is immediate and it is complete and utter ruin. Are you preparing by building on the words of Jesus Christ so that you can endure the storms? Creating a fortress that even the most violent storms cannot shake? Storing the words of Christ in your heart so that Scripture is circulating through your veins? It's never too late to start applying the words of Christ. But remember, come to Jesus Christ, listen to Christ, and apply his teachings. We listen to him. Because you can be deceived. The world has practical advice, and even within the church, you can listen to other people and apply what they're saying. But no matter how godly they speak and how secure their bunker seems, you should trust but verify their words. Examine if they align with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Remember, both men in the illustration made houses. But what you cannot see is how deep their foundation goes. You cannot tell if the the teachings of Jesus Christ penetrate their heart. You cannot see if the words of Jesus Christ circulate through their veins. You cannot see if the words of Jesus Christ are in their heart and that if it beats for Jesus Christ. So trust But verify. Be a good Berean and examine the Scriptures daily to see if these things are true. Because Jesus Christ knows the proper way to endure the storms and He will never lead you astray. Now if you're thinking to yourself, I feel like I just got demolished by a spiritual storm. Pulverized by the raging water So, you feel lost and hopeless. Or maybe you see signs and the warnings, the storm cells coming, and they terrify you because it lacks a foundation. See, Jesus Christ has the antidote for your self reliance. Come to Him, listen to Him, and do what He says. Building upon His words gives you comfort. It gives you security, and it gives you peace. Cast away those fig leaves of your self-reliance. They will not protect you. So you do not know when your storm is coming. The only thing you do know is that it will come. It's not a matter of if, but when. And when these storms do come, know that they will destroy and they will ruin you unless your spiritual bunker is built on the words and commands of Jesus Christ. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, two out of three ain't bad. Might be a catchy, cliche, fit for a chorus of a well-known song, but two out of three along the Christian pilgrimage will just not cut it. We need all three. So come to Christ. Listen to what He has to say and apply what he teaches. Jesus Christ is worth so much more than 66% of your efforts. So let us strive to serve him with 100% of our efforts and affections because Jesus Christ gave 100% effort and affection for your sake. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you, Lord, that you have given to us Christ especially, but also that Christ has given to us a blueprint to how to build a house to shelter us from these spiritual storms. Lord, that we see that we need to come to Christ, that we need to listen to him, but also, Lord, and more importantly, we need to do what he says. Help us cultivate a heart of doing what Christ says, knowing that we don't do these things out of compulsion, but gratitude. That we cannot apply, and our foundation isn't applied to the work and person of Jesus Christ's redemption, Lord, but that Christ is the one we look to as we build these spiritual homes. That we can have comfort and security, whatever comes our way. And we may have the peace, of the fellowship with Christ. It's through his name that we pray. Amen.